0: We're going to start reading in verse 24 of chapter 1. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him... Dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. I'd like to have you join me as we go to the Word. Let's ask God's blessing and leading. This word that gets preached this morning. Father, this morning I pray that Christ would be preached. Not only would Christ be preached, but we would take the name of Christ with us as we leave this building. That the name of Christ would be available, readily available upon our lips to speak. That we would never tire of the message of Christ. That we would never push aside the good news of Christ. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see in your word. Open our ears to hear your truth this morning. Teach us, we pray, Lord, through your spirit. Teach us, conform us, shape us, mold us. in an ever-increasing fashion, to the image of your Son, Jesus. Pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen. Paul writes this letter of Colossians to the faithful brethren in Colossae. If you're looking on the map, Colossae is in the same region as uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis. Um, On the map, it's not too far away from Ephesus, Port City. He writes this particular letter from prison. Having received word, it seems, from Epaphras on how things are progressing in Colossae. We see Epaphras' name mentioned at the beginning of this epistle, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. We see Epaphras' name written at the end of this epistle, in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And as with each book in the Bible, there is a context, right? There's a context. We have content, and we have a context. There's a particular audience in mind. There's a particular group of people to address, an individual perhaps to encourage... ...or church to exhort. And you know, having the particular context in mind... ...serves as a helpful tool to discern the why behind the writing. I mean, think about it. When you write a letter to someone... ...there's usually a reason for writing that letter. Maybe someone has had you into their home. And on the other side of having you into their home, you write a letter of gratitude, expressing your thanks for having the opportunity to have been in their home. Maybe it's a letter in light of the fact you know someone in this body is going through something very difficult right now. And you write a letter, and the purpose behind the letter is such that you are encouraging them in what they're walking through right now. There's a reason behind why we write There's also a reason behind each of these letters... ...in the scripture that have been given to us... ...each of these books. Paul is likely writing this letter from a Roman prison. One of the prison epistles... ...along with Ephesians, Philippians and Philemon. Word has come to Paul that this church at Colossae... ...had been latching on to something other than Christ... That's important for us to know. They've been walking according to some other ideas. And really it was a, a mixture of ideas. A combination it seems of Judaism and Gnosticism. Talk a little bit more about some of the characteristics of that. If you read the entirety of Colossians. Which I did several times this week. ...you pick up some of these Judaistic elements... ...some of these Gnostic elements... ...and whether it was more Judaism or more Gnosticism... ...I don't know that that's the point, ...and I'm not going to argue one or the other this morning... ...that's not the main point. The point is this... ...the point is that the church at Colossae... ...had strayed from the gospel that was preached to them. They had allowed the swirling ideas... ...and the traditions of men to crowd out the truth... ...of Jesus Christ. You see, what once had been a church... ...rooted and grounded in Christ... ...had now... ...this church had now lost her bearings. The church of Colossae had moved away... ...from the chief cornerstone. And we're entertaining other culturally... ...accepted means of living life... ...mixing a bit of this... ...in with a little bit of that... ...into their religion. This, this syncretism... ...this bringing together of ideas... Syncretism of religious practices. That's the picture you get of Colossae as Paul's writing this letter. Now Paul's response to such a situation, I believe, is clearly seen as you read through this short epistle. Structured in many ways like Ephesians. The first half being doctrinal and instructional in nature. And then the, the last half being more practical application, practical outworking, if you will, of those doctrinal truths. But Paul is direct about calling the church back to the truth of Jesus Christ. Calling them back to the clarity of the gospel that they were once taught. The gospel once taught perhaps by Epaphras himself, a faithful brother in the Lord, a fellow Colossian. It doesn't take too long in this letter before Paul sets Christ before them. In all his splendor, his creative handiwork, creation, his status as the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, his eternal preexistence with the Father. This Christ of whom Paul speaks is the head of the body, the church. According to verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's That's a big theme in this letter. Christ having the preeminence that's important in light of the context. You see Paul is writing these things and he 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 puts Christ right up there in the front, right up there in the first chapter. Because you see the church at Colossae had been mixing in a lot of other things. Christ perhaps was seen but was not given his preeminent place that he ought to have been given. Paul goes on, he speaks of Christ as the head in whom all the fullness of God dwells. He goes on to show that it was this Christ who who reconciled sinners unto himself through the cross. And he did so, according to verse 22, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In other words, his death on the cross is to have life ...altering consequences. It's the 2 Corinthians chapter 5 idea. Behold, all things are new. You see, the idea behind... ...the cross making a difference... ...that it ought to lead to holy lives... ...and blameless lives, lives above reproach. Paul is saying... ...that for one in Christ... ...the cross matters. The cross brings about a change... ...in the way we now live, in the way we now think... ...in the way we approach all of life. I mean, even if you consider the prayer in chapter 1 of Colossians... ...verses 9 through 12... ...in light of the what's oftentimes referred to as the Colossian heresy. What is the Colossian heresy, right? We talk about this mixed bag of Judaistic elements and, and Gnostic elements... This, ...this pursuit of elite knowledge. Okay? Many have proposed various ideas of what exactly this Colossian heresy consisted of, but it was that mixed bag of ideas. This Gnosticism, this inner circle of those claiming elite knowledge, special insight into certain mysteries. And if you notice in this letter, Paul uses some of the very words that are swirling in the church. Mystery. Wisdom. Knowledge. These very words would have been words that were been ...had been spoken of in the church. Words that were... ...now seemingly... ...being used and talked about... ...in such a way that was... ...absent of Christ... ...or Christ... ...and something else... ...as we'll see. I mean, Paul prays... ...if you look at chapter 1... ...he prays for the Colossian church... ...that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will... ...in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That they would walk worthy of the Lord... That they might fully please the Lord. That they might be fruitful in every good work. That they might be ever increasing in knowledge of God. That they might be strengthened with all might according to God's glorious power, not to man's power. So we have these terms knowledge and wisdom and understanding and power and might. They were all being used and leveraged in a different direction, away from the truth. ...of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowledge was being pursued. What kind of knowledge, though? Wisdom was being pursued. What kind of wisdom? Wisdom of man... ...or wisdom from above? Power and might was it brought about by one's own means... ...by the merit of one's actions... ...or by the keeping of certain rules or traditions. See, Paul's prayer is instructive in light of the Colossian context... Paul begins this letter reporting about their love and about their faith. He then prays for them in light of some of the concerns brought to his attention. First item after the prayer is Christ. Paul speaks to who this Jesus Christ is. Church, I believe that today we need a reminder of who this Jesus Christ is. Colossians chapter 1 is very clear on who Jesus is. Paul sets it before the church at Colossae. And this morning, I encourage you... And set before you the context of who Jesus Christ is. Verse 15 says he's the invisible, image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him. And for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He moves from there and addresses what this Jesus did for them at the cross. And beginning at verse 24. He speaks of his own relationship to this Jesus... ...and how his relationship with Christ... ...relates to his purpose in writing to them. As a prisoner... ...he is rejoicing in his sufferings... ...for the church... ...the body of Christ... ...which according to the text says... ...I became a minister... ...according to the stewardship of God... ...which was given to me for you... ...to fulfill the word of God... ...the mystery... Which had been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to whom? To his saints. See, Paul speaks as a, look at verse 23, he speaks as a minister of the gospel. And verse 25, he speaks as a minister of the church. A minister of the gospel and a minister of the church. This is, If we look at this and we see one of the things in this letter is that God gave Paul a stewardship for the benefit of the Colossian church and ultimately for the fulfillment of God's word. You see, Paul was designated as God's chosen vessel to the Gentile nations. We might recall last week, Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Remember when when the Lord is speaking to Ananias and Ananias has a question about, are you sure you got the right guy? And Christ comes back and says, yes, I have the right guy. In fact, I want you to know, Ananias, that this man is going to be my chosen vessel. He's going to speak before Gentiles. He's going to speak before kings. He's going to speak before children of Israel. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Those are the words of Christ to Ananias regarding the life of Paul. This life that he was going to be living. See, he was going to be spent. He was going to be used by God. And in the process, he would go through much suffering. And in fact, the letter of Colossians itself is testimony of his suffering. He is in prison as he writes. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is used by God to fulfill this great mystery spoken of. Again, that word itself. Mystery. No doubt was a word that was being used in those Gnostic circles. The, this mysterious, this, this secretism, this, this idea of, of knowledge. And only a few have this knowledge and it's, there's a certain mystery to it. Well, see what Paul is going to reveal today, and he uses the term mystery. He's going he's to open this up and he's going to let people understand. The mystery that he's speaking about is available to every man. Every man. Praise the Lord it's available to every man. Not to some inner circle. Paul has been granted the privilege of partnering with God to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery. In particular, among the Gentiles. Okay? Which is Christ in you, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, what had been hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to the saints. And God is using Paul. God uses Paul to carry out this mystery among the Gentiles, this minister of the gospel, minister of the church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul describes this, I believe, in his other letter in Ephesians. If you turn for just a moment, chapter 2, and I begin reading in verse 14. For he himself, talking about Christ, he himself is our peace, who has made both one. ...and has broken down the middle wall of separation... ...having abolished in his flesh... ...reference to the cross... ...the enmity... ...that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances... ...so as to create in himself... ...in himself... ...he created in himself, in Christ... ...one new man from the two... ...thus making peace... ...and that he might reconcile them both... ...to God... ...in one body... ...one body... ...not many... One body. Through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access. We both have access by one spirit. To the Father. This is not a, an exercise in many ways to the Father. One, one way. Through Christ what he did at the cross what he accomplished at the cross by means of now we have we are we are drawn to the father now we operate in by means of one spirit seems to be contrary in many ways to the way the church around us operates I'd like to spend the remainder of our time looking at these last two verses in Colossians 1. These verses tell us not only what or who Paul preached, but they tell us how he preached, to whom he preached, in what manner he preached. These two verses reveal the purpose or the objective, the goal, the end, if you will, of his preaching. And by extension, the the preaching of those who herald the gospel even yet today. This ought to be the objective of our preaching today. And then finally we see in these verses, we see that they show us the means by which he labored. Verse 29. You know, these two verses I I shared with with Kevin and Ralph here recently... just very impactful for me and I believe these verses are impactful for the whole body. One of the reasons we're taking a little side road this week to be in Colossians chapter 1. We'll get back to Acts next week, Lord willing. But I do believe that what we're talking about this week ties into what we talked about the last few weeks. And what we're talking about this week is going to tie into what we're going to be continuing to talk about as we move forward in the book of Acts. Acts. It's not disconnected content here. These verses communicate, I believe, a message to to me personally, to us collectively as elders, and to the body as a whole. And so this morning I urge you to listen carefully to what the Spirit says through these verses... Much here is directed to those who preach the word. And may I remind you, just in case you start to turn that off right there. May I remind you, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. The elders are not the only one given the responsibility to preach the word. Think scattered church. Think about what the scattered church did. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. They went everywhere preaching the word. Okay? This is not just a task for a pastor or an elder. It is that, but it is much more. Okay? Let's be clear on that. There are implications involved in this preached word... ...as it pertains to the body of Christ... ...in a local church context. Now, you came in here, I'm sure, with a certain presupposition... ...toward Christ's church. There are certain things, perhaps, that you desire to be in place in the local assembly of believers. And so if you, if you write notes, maybe just jot down one or two or three as the Lord would get, what, what are some things that you typically would think of, be mindful of, in being a part of a body of Christ, a local assembly of believers? Go ahead and jot one or two of those down. And as you're thinking about those, because I know you have them, we all do, we all have these ideas these desires, and, and what I'm wanting to challenge this morning are these desires that we have. Do they align themselves with what the Word of God teaches about his church? And where they don't align, we need to change our wants, our desires, to what God's word has said, ought to be our desires. That makes sense? I'd like you just to see God has a desire for his preached word in his church. There's a place, there's a purpose of this preached word in his church. And this preached word involves each one of you if you are a part of the body. The picture presented here is is, is glorious. And it's a picture that I pray the Lord would grant to his church here at Hope in Christ... So when you look at the text, verse 28, it begins this way, him we preach. In the original language, that's a relative pronoun for all you grammarians. Of whom, instead of him, of whom, of whom. So you look backwards, the subject, Christ, of whom we preach. Him we preach. That's the way this begins in verse 28. You know, right here I was reminded of Paul. Remember, the letter, the one who's writing this letter moved by the Holy Spirit. I was reminded of last week in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. After having his eyes open and have, after having been granted the Holy Spirit, Acts 9, verse 20 says immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. You see, right from the beginning in Paul's new life in Christ, the announcement, the public announcement, Proclamation, that's the idea of the word preached here in the text. It kept ringing from his lips, this Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, He is the Son of God. Proving, convincing men that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's Son. Church, we would do well here to stick to the basics see, Christ has been, still is, and will continue to be the centerpiece of the preached word. From Genesis to Revelation, in this word that we have before us, the message is channeled, pointed toward Christ. All the law, the prophets, the Psalms speak. Focus us upon the person of Jesus Christ. In the Gospels you find the red letters of Christ. Christ himself speaking. The epistles preach Christ. And the prophecy even of Revelation points to this Christ who is coming back. On God's timetable. So if the Bible that we have is all pointing to Jesus Christ... Why then is there such a shortage of gospel, good news, proclamation? If it's about Jesus, why so much absence of Jesus? Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 gives us some insight to the answer to that question. Paul says to Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This comes right on the heels of Paul saying, preach the word. But according to their own desires. That's a key phrase in that verse. According to their own desires. You see, it's it's what I put forward here just a minute ago. If you have a certain idea, a certain mindset, a certain desire for the way church ought to be. perhaps you'll do what this verse right here says. Because there were folks, Paul's telling Timothy, there's going to be a time when people aren't going to endure sound doctrine. They're not going to endure the name of Jesus Christ. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. In other words, they're going to go find some people who are going to preach something that they like, something that makes them feel good. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You see, the church in Colossae was probably hearing about Jesus at some level. It's not so much that Jesus was left out of the proclamation. Let's be clear on this, and I think this is important for us to understand. The concern was more along the lines of what was being added See, Paul alludes to food and drink and festivals and new moons and Sabbaths and worship of angels and love of philosophy and the traditions of men. These are all things that you can find in the Epistle of Colossians. All these things were being added to the proclamation of Christ. The danger, church, isn't always the absence of Christ in preaching. Let's be clear on that. The danger, and I believe even more so, the danger can also come when a a bunch of other things start to enter in and they begin to crowd out the word of Christ, the person of Christ, the finished and accomplished work, the atonement of Christ, the substitutionary work of Christ. These are terms people cringe at today, terms people don't like to hear today. But, church, I'm telling you, it is the truth of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of His Word. It's a truth we need to know. We need to proclaim. We need to be sure of. You see, Christ in this context then becomes one of many things proclaimed. His name then is profaned in the process. What's that mean to profane? It means to treat as ordinary or to treat as common. Christ no longer has preeminence if we're adding all of these other things. Paul is writing this letter for this very purpose, to let them know Christ. Look who he is. Look what he's done. He is all of what chapter 1, 15 through 20 say that he is. So with this mixed bag of spiritual practices that are taking root in Colossae. Paul's clear in this epistle. It's Christ we preach. Christ. Back to, to hammer this point home. I, I came across something in studies this week that I believe would be helpful and beneficial to this point of preaching Christ. The story is told of a young man who'd been preaching in the presence of, a, of an older. Preacher. And after he had finished his preaching... ...he went to the old minister and he said... ...what do you think of my sermon? A very poor sermon indeed, he said. A poor sermon, said the young man. Well, it took me a long time to study it. Aye, no doubt about it, said the old man. Why do you not think my explanation of the text... ...a very good one? Oh, yes, said the old preacher... Your explanation was very good indeed. Well, why then did you say it was a poor sermon? Didn't you think the metaphors were appropriate and the arguments conclusive? Yes, they were very good as far as that goes, but still it was a very poor sermon. Will you tell me why you think it is a poor sermon? Because, he said, there was no Christ in it. Well, said the young man, Christ was not in the text. We're not to be preaching Christ always. We must preach what is in the text. So the old man said, don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, that might give away who told the story, by the way. Wherever it may be, there is a road to London. Yeah, said the young man. Ah, said the old divine. And so from every text in scripture, There is a road to the metropolis of this scripture. That is Christ. And my dear brother, your business is when you get to a text to say, Now, what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along the road toward the great metropolis, Christ. And he went on, I have never yet found a text that had not got a road to Christ in it. And if I ever do find one that has not a road to Christ in it, I'll make one. I'll go over hedge and ditch, but I would get it my master for the sermon cannot do any good unless there is a savor of Christ in it. Amen. We must preach Christ. What is the road to Christ? How did Paul preach? Look at verse 28. text says, him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man. Two terms here. Warning and teaching. Warning. Another word in your translations might be admonishing. One's written the, the idea here behind this word that having something put into the mind or laid into the heart. That this word has to do with counseling a straying person, whether a believer or not, about correct belief... Or correct behavior. And has to do with setting the disposition of someone in proper order. With a view to helping that person. The idea is to help them. I'm reminded here of Paul's preached word. To that group of elders in in Ephesus. And in that context in Acts chapter 20. He says I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. With tears. See, Paul was about that very thing, putting warnings before the people. The Bible is filled. If you read this Bible, you see a lot of warnings in here, don't you? A lot of warnings. Beware. In fact, Colossians 2.8 says that. Beware. Watch out for false teachers. Or make no provision for the flesh. Romans chapter 13 says see, with all that was going on in Colossae, warnings and teachings were much needed. Warnings might include placing before the individual a projected path of where you're headed. Pointing out to someone, hey look, here's here's where you're headed. If If you keep walking this path, this is where it's going to take you. Now there's something about warnings. Cuz I I believe that this morning there's there's a there's a yes to warnings and teaching. Where it may get a little bit more difficult for some is when the warning lands in your lap. You see a, a great example in the scriptures I believe of this Twofold warning and teaching we see in the book of Romans, right? Paul puts forth commands, issues warnings, what you need to do, what you shouldn't be doing, and then he couples it with teaching as it is written, right? I mean, how often did we come across that as we were studying Romans? There would be this is what you must do, this is what you should not do, don't do this, here's why, as it is written. Paul says that these warnings and these teachings are for every man. I want you to notice that. Every man. And if you notice the repetition of every man. Every man's in there three times in this text. Every man. Context of Colossae. Let's go back to it. Because you see there were some who were were holding to this idea that, that, oh, this, this special insight, knowledge, if you will, was only for a selected circle, a selected few people. Paul says these warnings, this is for everybody. It's for every man. See, when we read the text and we start to understand context, it, it, it blows, this, um, blows our understanding out and up, and we get, it's, it's so full. It becomes, it becomes a bigger picture. See, the content itself is wonderful, but when we understand some context, it helps us understand why Paul's writing these very words. You know, as an elder, the warnings and teachings are intended for every man. We need both the warnings and the sound teaching that instructs and in how to walk with the Lord. We need others pointing us back to Christ in his word. And this is one of the beauties of the local church. We need each other to walk the way God intended. He set it up that way. He's designed it that way. God has seen to it that each part, when it's ministering and serving as Christ enables and as Christ is gifted each of the parts, each part is edifying the body as a whole and we grow together as living stones. Peter refers to us as living stones, right? Being built together, Ephesians chapter 2, being built together in the spirit, in that one spirit. There is a word here about warnings and admonitions. And I believe some of you would agree in principle with what this text teaches but you may not like it when it gets applied to you. The goal here is yet to come in the test. There's a goal. There's an objective. There's an end result to Christ being preached and how we preach through warning and through teaching. There's a goal here in this. For now, I want you to know that in preaching Christ, there is warning and there is teaching involved. And if you could say amen to the truth of what Paul is saying here, You should also be ready to say amen in a word, if there's a a word of warning or admonition that comes your way. It's important that we understand none of us, not a one of us, myself included, are exempt from such warnings and teachings from the scripture. You see, being in Christ, the wonderful common denominator that we share is the word. What does this word say? Let's encourage Let's admonish. In fact, Colossians talks about admonishing one another in chapter 3, verse 16. You see, the elder is not the only one admonishing. The body ought to be holding up this word in such a way that when a part of the body is straying from what this word says, we can take the word and we can encourage a brother. We can hold the warning before them, couple it with teaching. Because, you see, it's not just my opinion. It's not just that I think you should be doing something differently. No. Here's what you're doing. Here's what the word says. Calling each other to account on the basis of what the word says. Not what man says. So, but, by what means? We see who Christ, who Paul preaches, that's Christ. We see how he's going about this preaching. Warnings teaching. But text says he does this in all wisdom, by the means of wisdom. It must be in all wisdom. Must be. We need this. How many of you know that we need God's wisdom? (laughs) As an elder, and I'm going to speak on behalf of the three of us for just a moment. We've had opportunity to meet with some of you. Various occasions, various reasons, purposes. The things that get shared, we realize walking into the meeting, we need God's wisdom. Without his wisdom, the warning and the teaching doesn't really do a whole lot. when you're having conversations with someone in this body, when there's conflict starting to brew with someone perhaps in the body, you need God's wisdom on the matter. God's wisdom on the matter is found in God's word. For starters, you might read the book of Proverbs. For starters. But we see that God is a generous and loving God and He will give to those who ask him, James chapter 1. James chapter 3 speaks of the wisdom, defines what wisdom from above is. That's the kind of wisdom we need. It seems Paul understood the importance of such wisdom as he writes to the church in Colossae because if you look in chapter 1, in that prayer, in fact, he asks God, to fill him with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom. Chapter 2, he speaks of wisdom. Chapter 3, he speaks of wisdom. Chapter 4, he speaks of wisdom. I love that verse in 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Paul understood this. And he's writing to this church in Colossae, helping them understand the kind of wisdom that was needed in order to be able to minister effectively, stand upon the truth of Christ. We need God's wisdom in this. We preach Christ, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. You see, it's significant that the child of God operate by means of godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom is contained right here in the pages of the Word. See, the Word must be brought to bear as we warn and as we teach. Without it, those warnings and teachings become hollow. They become stilted. They be, Without substance, they can cause great damage to Christ's church. But there's also here in the text a great purpose and objective for are preaching. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we got a purpose clause here, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's the purpose. The warning and the teaching, preaching Christ by warning and teaching. Is done so that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Now if you think about that for just a moment, that is an incredibly high bar to consider. Presenting every man perfect in Christ. Perfect here, the idea of complete, mature, fully devoted. It speaks to the idea that's developed in Ephesians chapter 4. That this one who is in Christ would not be swayed with popular opinion, would not be tossed by the waves of the sea, but would be firm and know the truth. Stand upon the truth. Would be complete. In fact, we see, as Paul is writing to, to Timothy, this same idea communicated And it's attached to the scriptures... ...which are able to make you wise for salvation... ...through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God... ...profitable for doctrine, for reproof... ...for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We see warning and teaching... ...wrapped in there. Why? That the man of God may be complete... ...thoroughly equipped... ...for every good work. The scriptures given to us for this purpose... The one who preaches the word is to be about the same objective. To to preach the word with warning and instruction, to do it in all wisdom, with, with an objective, with a goal in mind, to present every man, every man, every part of this body. Mature in Christ. To present. I believe Paul has in mind thinking of the future here. Thinking of what is yet to come. Thinking of Christ's return. When we're going to stand before that judgment seat of Christ. I mean, how often does Paul, when he's preaching in his, in his letters, he's talking about how he, he wants to run the race in such a way that he's not disqualified. Disqualified. He wants to do all that he can and be all that he can so that others might know Christ but not just know him. Because you see, I'm convinced today there are many of you here occupying a chair, you know Christ. Intellectually, you know him. You know of him. You know, you could turn perhaps to book and chapter. Are you living for him? Is Christ in you? I think what we're looking at here in the text, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, it mattered to the Apostle Paul. It ought to matter to the three of us as elders. It ought to matter to the body as a whole. It ought to be our goal and our objective that as we preach Christ, we are thinking about the day that's approaching. And that day that comes to know with great certainty that every man in this particular body that has been entrusted to our care, that we are spending ourselves in such a fashion and preaching Christ in such a way that we're going to go to great lengths to see that on that day, The idea has to present before God, to devote, to consecrate, to set before God every part. That's an eye opener. It also says something to you as a part of the body. That in the midst of preaching Christ, in the midst of warning, in the midst of teaching, the whole purpose in that, in receiving that... that you, church, would be in ever-increasing measure conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So that on that day, truly, as the Lord comes back, he'll be able to find men who are faithful. That's the purpose. That's the goal that we may present every man perfect, mature, in Christ Jesus. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, as it speaks about some of the discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. <laughs> Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. There's, there is a passage as well in that same Hebrews text which speaks to the dual role of those who are leading in the church, those who have been given leadership responsibilities and those who are a part of the body in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. Your souls. As those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Christ we preach warning every man teaching every man in all wisdom but the purpose the goal being that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus you see church this is much more much more than you know sometimes sometimes as an elder and we go to the preaching conference we've been going And one of the questions that we typically get asked, it's a wrong question, but it gets asked. So how many are you running? I have not heard someone ask this question before. How many fully devoted followers of Christ do you have in your church? That's the end result. That's the purpose. That's the objective for why we preach Christ. To present. To think about that time yet to come. The day approaching. And in the meantime, we are instructed. To present every man. Every part of this body. High calling. High bar. Sometimes I wonder and sometimes I think, How, Lord, how does this get done? I don't know how it gets done. There's a lot of things that happen. A lot of things going on. Which leads me to the last verse. Paul personalizes this. To this end, I also labor. I labor. I toil. I work at this. All it takes is a reading of the epistles, a reading through the book of Acts, and you see this very clearly. This was a mark of Paul's life. Labor for the Lord. And then that word striving. It's where we get our word to agonize. It's a word that was used in the athletic arena. Paul is no stranger to that. We see on various occasions he's using athletic metaphor. Running the race. Wrestling not against flesh and blood. Right? Agonizing. I labor agonizing, striving according to what? How does this happen? According to his working, which works in me mightily. That's how it happens. That's the means by which we preach. We preach Christ, we warn, we teach, we do it with all wisdom. Why? Because there's going to be a day when, when the judgment comes and, and one of the goals, one of the directives that we have as under shepherds in His church, not our church, His church, is to present every part of this body mature, complete, whole, perfect, in Christ. And we're to labor to this end. Striving, striving, reaching, grasping. You see it. You know, it's, it's sort of like in the race. You might remember watching some of the Olympics and, and, and the race is close and they're, they're, they're stretching for the end line and they're reaching out and you see the, the veins popping out on their necks as they try and reach to the finish line. That's what we're talking about, church, when we say striving. This is no half-hearted effort here. And again, not just for the three elders, this ought to be characteristic of the body as a whole. We're striving. There's something here. There's a prize," Paul writes in Philippians. "The upward call, the prize." And so in the meantime, while we're still here, we need to be laboring. We need to be striving. Remember, Paul is a minister of the gospel. He is also a minister of the church. What are your views about the church? Is church simply a place you come to a building on Sunday? Is that as far as your involvement with the church goes? Are you here because of your love for Christ and his church? Are you here because you have some understanding of what Christ did to accomplish this church of which you're a part? He shed his blood, made possible the church. I think we've taken for granted. I think we've taken for granted the opportunity that we have to come and to gather and take a seat on a Sunday morning. We have, we, we have lots of things we like about the gathering of this place. We like the fact that many of us homeschool. We like the fact that many of us um, share common interests and, and, and concerns and desires. And those are all wonderful things. That's good, that's fine. I want to ask you, though, this morning, are we laboring together? Are we striving together for the very things that, that, that Christ himself has talked about here? Through the Apostle Paul, he's saying, we preach, we're warning, we're teaching every man, and we're doing it with all wisdom. for The purpose of presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Have you been desiring something other than being made perfect in Christ Jesus? Has there been some other goal, some other objective for you being a part of the church? Because I see this as being the goal here. Preaching Christ... How we do it, the means by which and all wisdom. And the purpose, the end result, is that you might be presented to God. You remember when Daniel was presented in chapter one? It reminds me. He was presented before the king. And there was a time where they were supposed to eat certain foods. Remember that? And Daniel says, hey, is, is it possible? I, you know, i really like to stay away from that and, and just have, could you just feed me some vegetables? There was a period of time there where where Daniel and his his, his men there were they were taking in these vegetables for the purpose of what? There was going to be a day when they were going to be presented before the king. Church, there's a day when you and I are also going to be presented before the king. And in this church, it's, it's our desire. It's our desire as elders. I'm speaking again on behalf of the three of us. <laughs> to present each part. Each part blameless, whole, mature in Christ. And so if in that process, if there are warnings that come your way, I want you to know there are warnings out of love. There are warnings to help you see that where you may be going, where you may be heading is a dangerous place. And I pray that we we would do exactly what Ephesians 4 calls us to do and that is to speak truth and love to you And to present the word before you. It's not our opinion. My opinion doesn't matter a whole lot. God's word does. Power with which we strive and labor. Christ working in us through his spirit. I I believe one other thing is important for us to note here. This power with which we labor and strive. It says it's according to his working, which works in me mightily. The laboring and the striving must be partner effect. The Holy Spirit working in us, yes. Philippians chapter 2, I'm reminded of that we are to work out our salvation, right? Right? with fear and trembling for it, it's God who works in you according to His good will, His purpose. But think about how foolish it would be to run a race and to think for, for a moment that because I've trained, because I've done all these great things in preparation for the race, now I can just show up and it's all going to happen. Doesn't work that way. He's working in us. But we too are called to be in the game to be working, to be laboring and striving. And as we're doing these things, the Holy Spirit is going to be working in us. Don't put it on autopilot. And think that just because you are a Christian, it's sort of like pulling out your wallet and pulling out a card and saying, this is who I am, this is what I do. When the reality of it is, you don't really labor and strive for anything. It's a title that you wear. That's not the picture I get of Paul. That's not the picture I get of his life as I read the scriptures. It's not the the picture I get of what his church is intended to be. Christ's church, that is. He's the head. We are the parts of the body. I pray that these two verses, and perhaps it will spur you on to read the rest of the letter, because it fits in really well with the rest of the letter. There are many other wonderful verses in this letter. I'm hoping this morning to be able to give you some context in which the letter was written, but to be able to focus some time and energy in these two verses, to be able to speak to the priority of preaching, to be able to speak to how we preach, who we preach, by what means we preach, the big idea, the purpose for our preaching. To present before God every man perfect in Christ. That includes you if you're a part of this body. And that we accomplish this and we move in this direction. Only in and through the working of Christ in us. The power of his Holy Spirit. And this word that's been given to us. This is our, our game plan if you will. Christ, his word, the spirit working in us. Church, let's move forward in this. So those ideas that you have or have had about Christ's church, what his church ought to be, so often we come up with these ideas of what we like. Because what we like caters to our flesh and we like that so much. Let's try something different. Instead, let's try looking at what God's word says. Let's try looking at what God himself says about his church. And let's align ourselves under the banner of what God says about his church over which Christ is the head, which we are parts, we are the body of his church. And let's walk together in doing these very things. Above all things, let's make sure in light of what we just read this morning, It's Christ we preach. Amen? It's Christ we preach. Let's pray. Father, your word is so good. We thank you for your word. Oh, Father, I pray that Christ would be preached here. I pray Christ would be preached in our homes... Pray Christ would be preached wherever there are lost souls needing to hear the gospel truth. I pray, Lord, that we would preach both warning and teaching. That as we put forth any warning, we would couple it with the teaching that's found in your word. That we would do this warning and teaching in the wisdom that only you provide. This wisdom that is from above. Just pure, gentle, peaceable, willing to yield, full of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Father, I pray that we would walk in such a way that we would understand That there is an end goal, there is an end purpose. We see see the tape on the finish line. And that would be that we would be concerned about presenting every man complete, mature, in Christ. And Father, with such a high bar, with such a, a big picture placed before us, it can get overwhelming. Father, I'm encouraged by the means through which we're called to do this. And that is with your strength working in us. Your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us. Working, energizing, giving us energy to do the very things that you've called us to be doing as parts of your body. Father, give us grace that we may do this well for your glory, for your kingdom. As we await that day. Let us be about the business of laboring. Striving to this end. Partnering with you. Being your fellow workers. And Father may it be. That at the end. There would be great fruit. There would be. Faithfulness found in in the people here. Lord this race. Will have been run not in vain, but with great purpose. Help us to see the purpose in running this race you've set before us and help us in running to set our eyes clearly, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of this race. May we always preach Christ. May there not be other things that get crowded in here in this particular church, Lord. I pray that Christ would be preached, the chief cornerstone of your church. May we uphold him in all things. Exalt him always. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.